I think a lot of people get sucked into, I mean, we would live in a marketing driven world and we could have a real existential conversation on this, but like so many people, you know, get caught up in this kind of comparison and comparison. I, I don't know who quoted it, but comparison is like the thief of joy. Like if you're just always looking over the fence, looking at what your neighbor has, you're going to hate what you have and you're going to want the newest thing. So if you go, you know, you bought your new thing. I think you, you posted something up a while back that I thought was interesting was like, remember when you wanted the thing that you have, like that, that's really the, the mindset that you have to have with this. And so like, if you get sucked into just saying, you know, I need the next X, Y, or Z, well, at a certain point you attain it. And then what's next? Welcome to Modern Happiness, where we believe happiness is a choice. Our goal is to share how we and our high-performing guests choose happiness, covering topics such as fitness, mindset, relationships, business, and much more in today's world. Here are your hosts, Matt Mahalik and Taylor Sleaford. Welcome back to the Modern Happiness Podcast, everybody. So pleased to have you. I'm so grateful that I get to do this intro right now. But uh, Taylor's going to take it away and intro our beautiful, sexy guest today. (laughs) What is up, guys? Oh, we have a treat for you. Uh, A great friend of mine, John Freemeyer, a fellow CrossFitter, an avid mountain biker, and he's a certified financial planner. And we are going to talk about money today. We're going to dive deep. Uh, I am now the proud owner of a Roth IRA, thanks to this man. And I have never felt like more of a man than I do today. (laughs) Taylor's juicing over it. John, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, Taylor. You, it sounds like you're doing well. I'm doing incredible. <laughs> also, uh, for those listeners, uh, just a reminder, we're on YouTube and we have our po- uh, podcast mascot, Shaw. Um, who's our podcast. Podcast. Ah, C-A-W. Uh, See you there. Um, the son of Deuce, the producer. Uh, and he's sleeping on my leg right now, which is great. So I'm wildly jealous. I can't even tell you. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, yeah, I'm freaking out. I don't get the attention. What the hell's going on right now? Um, <laughs> anyway, awesome. We're gonna start off with some rapid fire questions, John, just to get you know, get to know you a little bit better before we dive deep into the Let's do the it. money topic. So, where are you from, and where do you live now? Let's see. I'm I'm from Bettendorf, Iowa, which is about it's on the Mississippi River, uh, but it's about halfway between. Uh, Chicago and Des Moines. Um, so small town, Iowa. And uh, I live in Denver, Colorado now with my wife and my two dogs and a little one on the way. Hell yeah. Oh, baby. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, baby, That's really. Very, yeah. Oh, baby. <laughs> Pun completely unintended lots, by Lots Taylor. of financial planning. Yes, yes, Oh, yes. babe, we're going to get into it. Uh, <laughs> all right, John, what is your favorite thing to do for fun? Uh, what I did this morning, mountain biking. Um, yes. Friday morning. Yeah, I used to ride my road bike a bunch, but uh, yeah, Friday Friday morning mountain bike rides are becoming a thing this summer. I love that. What uh, what got you into mountain biking? Um, I was a former fat kid. I used to weigh like 290 pounds, and I got into road cycling, and I raced in college, and then uh, I got into mountain biking after that because nice. I'm I think a glutton for punishment at this point. Nice. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a different ball game. If you never mountain biked, but you've most of us have ridden a bike on a street. Mountain biking is different it's like doing it's, it's like different. doing repeated wind sprints yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you get you earn the downhills that's you know yeah, that's you the thing. yeah that's it's fu- it's funny because i just realized john helped me buy my mountain bike last year he helped me open a roth ira <laughs> this year what is coming next year i can't I, wait i'll tell you what i cannot wait good things come in threes yeah right? absolutely buy a uh, house whoa 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 whoa, whoa. we'll, we'll talk about it yeah okay john most used emoji oh man 
if it's not the dollar bill or the bag of money, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're doing. It might be, uh, it might be the the eyes, the money with the the eyes one. Uh, oh, let me look there you go. Yeah, okay. yeah, fair enough. Um, Tongue and eyes. Yeah, it's it's uh it's this one. He's checking everyone. Yeah, yes, money for yes. eyes yeah. and, the, and the green tongue with the money sign on it. Yep. Just eating money for lunch, <laughs> dinner, breakfast, snacks. Or, or what I really like to do is I like to change the colors of thumbs up <laughs> to see if people are sensitive or yeah. how sensitive they actually are. Good call. It's always yeah. a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That really sets a, you know, <laughs> really find out the boundaries there. Really you know quick. where people stand really yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is your walk-up song? Oh, man. Um <laughs> I have no idea. First thing, what's your favorite song right now? First thing comes to mind. Um, I've been listening to a, to a lot of like Young the Giant lately. Mm. That or like Kings of Leon. Like I'm a big, big fan of Kings of Leon. Leon. Big but, fan of Kings of Leon. But we also just booked a uh, Death Cab for Cutie concert up in Vail in what? September. So okay. concerts are back. I want in on that. I'm, concerts are back. I'm so. there. If you like Dave Matthews, October 8th and 9th here in Colorado. I do. I have. I like him. I haven't seen him. 90 bucks for the both nights. Oh, man. I was just texting every, all my friends today. I was like, let's do it. Let's do it. You get your lawn seats. Get a little shwaisted. <laughs> Get a little dancing. <laughs> jello shots. Jello shots. Tell about jello shots today, everyone. We have not had them yet, so no. we'll, we'll see. If we have Maybe one through the podcast, you'll hear it. Halfway through the podcast. See how wild those calculations get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, just wait till we start talking about compounding interest. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, favorite book? Um, as a full-time capitalist and a part-time social worker, I'm going to have to go with Atlas Shrugged. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think I read that. I don't remember. Pretty sure I didn't like it, but sounds good. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right, John Freemeyer. Do you have a nickname? I don't. No. Not just John. John's good. John. You born good. Jonathan? John. You were John. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Says John. yeah. Just John. Your parents are like, my, why? Yeah. Even... My dad's dad was Johnny, but Johnny mm. wasn't gonna stick. So yeah. just uh, yeah. just John. Yeah. With with an H though. Yeah. yeah. With an H. Yeah. Spelled spelled correctly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Of course. <laughs> Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh man. Um, I would imagine like an astronaut or something. I'm here for it. Love that. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Um, final question. What is your superpower? What is my superpower? Like the one I want or the one I currently have? No, No, like, yeah. Something you're great at, something you do really well, something people come to you for. Um, I mean, I, I would being on this podcast, being interviewed for financial planning, I'd have to say financial planning. Um, but I think uh, looking multiple steps down the line or seeing where people will have like pitfalls, uh, whether that is uh, something around my house that my wife will inevitably leave out and I'm like, yeah, I, I knew that was going to happen, or whether it's a client doing something. I, I think either of those. So uh, I guess being in tune with uh, human behavior, if you will, to mm. a certain degree. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so now we're going to dive into it, guys. So first and foremost, John has a little disclaimer because we're going to talk about money, and this is not an official advice from him, from his company. So we're going to get that out of the way, then we'll dive in. Cool. So uh, I work for The Motley Fool, which is a like stock publishing service. You can buy subscriptions and all that good stuff. Um, I work for an affiliate, which is their money management arm. Um, so bear with me while I keep my attorneys happy. Uh, Derek... You're welcome. Uh, Fool Wealth is an affiliate of the Motley Fool LLC. 
It's a separate legal entity. All of our investment management and financial planning are decisions made independently by the team at Fool Wealth. Uh, neither Tom or David Gardner, the Motley Fool's founders, are affiliated or affiliated analysts are involved with our investment decisions or daily operations. The views expressed within this interview are my own personal views and are not representative of my employer. Also, do not take anything I say as personalized investment or tax advice. I'm not recommending you buy, sell, hold Bitcoin, anything, anything like that, um, or advocating for any specific investment strategy or financial plan. I recommend you seek a personalized advice relating to investment or tax decisions with a qualified professional. All right, Deuce, make Whew. sure you cut that out. out of the way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, now tell me what to do. It's so helpful. I got 10K. What I'm do I do? I'm buying all the Bitcoin right now. You know, you can make your own decision on that. <laughs> okay. That's the beauty of um, this country you live in. Exactly. Okay, so before we dive in, let's... Give us a little background about you, how you got into financial planning, mm -hmm. kind of what you do now, and then full steam ahead. Yeah, so uh, I went to a little school in West Texas because I wanted to be as far away from my parents as possible when I was 18, 19 years old. Shout out um, mom and dad. Shout out mom and dad. Um, <laughs> what up, Iowa? Exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, I was always told to go do something with numbers because uh, this was during like, I graduated in 2009 from high school and uh obviously recessions and all that good stuff so my dad said well you know if if the uh if you do something with numbers uh no matter how bad the numbers are someone has to interpret them so you'll probably be the last guy who gets fired mm -hmm. so i said that might be wise advice um so i went to a school that was super heavy in accounting um acu uh, abilene christian uh for all you people who got your brackets busted mm -hmm. um nice. so um Went there, decided accounting was not for me, but finance was accounting with more personality where you could actually apply it. Um, and then I graduated, I moved down to Austin, spent a year not doing anything financial planning related. Um, and then I started working for a couple big broker dealers after that, uh, got an offer here in Denver. Um, and I've worked in a few different capacities on the, um, like the trading side. So if you were to ask like, what is a stock broker? Um, I technically hold all my licenses for that. Um, so I can place trades, I can supervise like options, derivatives, contracts. Um, and then the other thing that I can do is, uh, I also worked on the estate processing side of things. So, you know, if someone dies, they call in, they want their money distributed to their beneficiaries, we'd help with that. Um, but that all led to kind of what I do now, which is the comprehensive side of things. So if you've got your income, your expenses, your assets, your liabilities, how does it all go together and how does it all like correlate to your goals? I love that. So many questions probably already <laughs> off the bat. Assets, beneficiaries, all this stuff. You can make trades. Can't we all make trades on like Robinhood? You could. Yeah. 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 I don't need school for that. I don't need a license. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that's, I, that's I the thing. Disclaimer either, so. No, but I mean, but I mean to, <laughs> that, to that degree though, like everyone, you are in charge of like your financial future. So you should, you should take a vested interest in that and like you should learn, so, which means like you shouldn't just go buy something just because you know, some TikToker or something like that said, go buy XYZ stock, but you know, do your own research and yeah, you can place your own trades. So but what if it's a hostiles. really trendy video? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of time and effort. Again, like the very end of the disclaimer that makes all the attorneys happy, seek your own qualified okay, advice okay, okay, specific okay. to you. Cause yeah, what, what works for one person who's, you know, soliciting something on TikTok doesn't work for every <laughs> single person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so to preface this a little bit for our listeners, mm -hmm. um, this money, right? I think this is an interesting topic. And um, you and I have talked, and I know Matt and I have talked a lot. Matt and I are both entrepreneurs, and we've, you know, we've talked about taxes and investing and saving and 
you know, there's a lot of hype around things like Bitcoin these days and even Robinhood and stocks and bonds and all this stuff. And, you know, it's interesting. The world I grew up in is um, I didn't know a lot about this stuff. And to be honest, I've been like a fitness coach for most of my adult life, which is, you know, which started yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some, pe- some people might say it's not a real job, right? Like I, I've worked for one company that you could have a 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there for maybe nine months, uh, you know, and I'm now 30 years old. So um, a lot of independent contractor stuff like that, you know, kind of grinding by. And I know we started this conversation. It's really just like, you know, I don't know who to trust. I don't know what to mm-hmm. believe. I don't know, like, um, you know, paying off debt, like all these things. And so we started having this conversation and, you know, the three of us have talked about this before, but one thing that I really like that you talk on is financial literacy. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you mentioned before is like, I know why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that's, what's important. So tell us a little bit about your stance on like, why is, how do you, what is financial literacy? Why is that so important? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a big fan and I think we, when we grabbed tacos a few weeks ago, the running joke, but serious in nature is, you know, school shouldn't be designed to teach you the area of a rhombus. Um, It should be really designed to teach you how do you actually, you know, use the rules of the game and how do you play inside those rules? So, you know, how do you file your taxes? How do you invest? What is the idea of your money growing and, and working for you outside of just some, you know, MLM or anything like that. So, so ideally the, the goal there is you need to take a vested interest because it's not taught in school to the same degree that it should be. So, and that's where there are multiple resources out there. So like the company that I work for, we do a lot of financial education and it's a lot of free material around, you know, here's a new strategy or here's a change in tax code and here's how that'll impact X, Y, or Z variables. So, um, the idea of financial literacy is, is really just, you should be able to elaborate why you're doing a certain action and how that benefits you or if if you're doing something and then you should be able to also identify if it doesn't benefit you so that's where the you know i'd say i'm a big proponent of that just to know you know you have to define some terms and have some common understandings in terms of you know what is an interest rate or what is a stock or what is a bond but ideally you're using that and then you're actually applying it and then you can chart and make change you know in a meaningful way is that a place we should start? Like if you were talking to a 12 year old, which, do it. <laughs> which I think, you know, you know, I never knew what my dad mm-hmm. made growing up, which I think is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. dad, if you're listening, sorry, but like when I have kids, like I want to tell them and I want to tell them how I made this money and how I'm investing it and growing and how, how I'm mm-hmm. making my money work for me and things like that. So if you were talking to a 12 year old, you're going to have kids. I am. Uh, yeah. So how would you have this conversation with them? And obviously maybe that might be different to whatever, like yeah, yeah. what a dollar is, but you know, where would you start as far as taking care of your money? And yeah. Like so, so I think it comes down to, um, your income. So whatever income that, that is coming into you, whether that is, uh, earned income, whether it's a gift from parents or grandparents or whatever it is, um, everything starts out first at a budget. So you have to look and say, what am I earning or what is coming in the door? And then what is leaving? Um, the biggest thing there is you have to identify if there's a hole in the bottom of the bucket. Like, are you saving net every single month or are you spending every single month? So, um, you know, if we look at that kind of some, some common definitions, we'll kind of go over today. Um, so a stock is just ownership in a company. Um, a bond is debt in a company. So if you're Apple, let's say you issue a bond cause you want to 
expand your big campus in Cupertino, um, you're going to issue a bond. And, and I can buy that bond. And what I get as, as essentially reward for buying that is I get income from that. So call it an interest rate. So I get a, a fixed payment off of that. Um, the other option is I can buy Apple stock. So if I buy Apple stock, I technically have ownership in Apple. Now, I may only own one share of it. So my ownership is not the same as like Tim Cook, who's the CEO of Apple. However, I technically am an owner of Apple in a fractional way. So stocks and bonds make up a lot of the, the investing universe. Um, if we think of what packages those together are typically going to be mutual funds and exchange traded funds. So if we look at those, a mutual fund is just a bucket of stocks or a bucket of stocks and bonds. There's going to be a mix in there, but that fund has a specific objective. So it's going to say this, this fund is meant to be large cap, aggressive growth stocks. And so in that, what you're going to find is it will only own those stocks that fit that category. So all it's doing is, is in terms of what you buy, it's just going to be defined by whatever, you know, in this case, you know, asset allocation is, is how you combine all those things together. Yeah. So essentially the mutual fund, you said a group of stocks. It's a group of companies, kind of like yep. you could have, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just going to throw things out there, mm -hmm. but it's like you could have, you know, the Tech 20. Yep. And it, that might be more aggressive if it's Tesla, yeah. Apple, Google, you know, yep. Facebook, Netflix, like those types. And you buy, I guess, it'd be, would it be like a stock of, yeah. of a mutual fund? So, so, so you, you would buy shares. Shares. So, okay. so everything's going to be traded in shares are going to be the increment. Um, so if I buy a hundred shares of Apple, or if I buy a hundred shares of a mutual fund, um, I own whatever that mutual fund happens to buy. So, you know, how that typically works is, so for instance, like, um, Taylor and I worked with his Roth IRA. If he buys a mutual fund, he doesn't just own the mutual fund the mutual funds value is derived from what that mutual fund then buys. So think of it as kind of like a, a big, I don't want to say pyramid because that's a terrible connotation. Um, but think of it in terms of like, there are different layers in terms of what, so at the base layer, you have this mix of stocks and bonds, which makes up how much risk. So more stocks in the portfolio, higher risk, more bonds in the portfolio, lesser risk. Um, with a higher risk, there's more volatility, but potential for more reward, um, vice versa on the other side. So if you, if you buy a mutual fund and the mutual fund owns that as its base layer, the mutual fund packages that all together and you only just own the mutual fund shares or the exchange traded fund shares. Same thing. They just trade a little differently. Okay, cool. I'm going to check in with Deuce over here. How are we doing? Is, that, <laughs> is this all making sense? <laughs> We're going. No. Yeah. It's making sense. Okay, cool. Okay. I just, I, I so think I've read a lot of books on this, so I, yeah. I'm familiar with a lot of these terms. Sure I do. Clear. I do want to dive into why would I buy stocks? Why would I buy bonds? When would I buy mutual funds? Mm -hmm. But before that you would you know, I think we can kind of get there, but you, you'd mentioned the word budgeting. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious, like, what is your approach on that? Should I track everything? Should I have a spreadsheet? Like mm -hmm. what are, you know, and I imagine it's actually maybe like nutrition where maybe there's, there's ebbs and flows of like, I'm going to be very strict, check everything. Yeah. I'm not, maybe it's individualized based on our personality, but like, yeah, what is your advice for people getting started? Um, again, I like the analogy, Matt, made of like, yeah, if you're going to tell the 12 year old, cause I think you no know, 12 year old is most mm -hmm. are not told, which is I'm now 30 and I'm learning a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, yeah, where would you start? And then how do you check in and that sort of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think, you know, a good frame of reference is always to go as far as possible. So maybe, maybe not necessarily the dieting example, uh, in terms of that, but like going as strict as possible, but in terms of your budget, track everything to begin with. 
and then you can you can adapt to what is going to be most suited to you. Um, so you know, if you are noticing that your credit card bill continues to go higher and higher, uh, there's probably a trend developing there, and that trend is you're probably spending more than what you're earning, and so. Knowing where that's going is the, is the first step in terms of kind of that financial literacy to say, where am I allocating those dollars and what am I, you know, am I spending too much on drinks with friends or travel or whatever the case may be? Um, and you can quickly identify like what you can pair back. Um, so, but, but budgeting is going to be different for everyone. So, um, you know, I've got engineers who send me their spreadsheets and they're literally 10, 10 pages of spreadsheets that all interconnect. And it's the most intricate thing. And <laughs> no, thank you. I got, I got one of those since 2013. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. So, so, so that exists. But then again, like I'm, I am a financial planner. I get paid to do this every day and I don't run a budget. I track it all. But, but in this case, like I generally know, like I keep on top of it to the point where like I have a mental accounting of like where I stand, but, but you know, there are years where, or not years, but there are going to be months where it's going to be like, Hey, we had car repaired this month. Maybe that's a little, little tighter of an expense. Um, therefore our budget this month needs to kind of ebb. Maybe we don't go out to eat nearly as much. So th there's going to be some variability in there. Um, but you have to tailor that to what's actually going to be sustainable. So the, the piece there is like, you cannot, you cannot say everyone is a spreadsheet budgeter. If I look at a spreadsheet and I'm like, I'm just not going to type those numbers in. Like if, if that's not your style, that's not your style. Um, but that's where like, you can still keep track of it. So like if you use like a mint, you know, link everything up, let Got it run. One of those now. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mint will track everything and you can categorize it and restaurants, yeah. alcohol, um, things like that. I think one of the great things of budgeting. So yeah, I, I mentioned I've had my spreadsheet since 2013, which is, I graduated college in 2012. Humble when I, brag. And I got my engineering job. Uh, no, just, I'll just brag about it. Just, <laughs> yeah. I'm so fucking special over here. It's just shameless. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I go, look at me. You guys want to see it? I'll send it to I you. I am the uh, best budgeter yeah. that I know. Yeah, I tell everyone about it. I also tell everyone how humble I am. Um, but anyway, um, I have categories. I have my income, mm -hmm. right? So I think just for people listening, um, it's the income. Let's just say, for example, you make $5,000 a month. Then you have the expenses. And I track this as things that like I need to live. And that's rent, that's car payments, student yep. loans, utilities, uh, cell phone bill, like whatever like you need to you know, function as a human. Um, probably groceries in there. But for me, that can vary. I kinda, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I don't buy as many groceries as I go out to eat. Um, so I kind of had that in my own category. But anyway, but you could have you know, $300 for, yeah. for groceries and then $200 for gas and things like that. So now you know all those things, rent, utilities, groceries, gas, all that stuff, cost $3,000. So now you have $2,000 left to do whatever you want with. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think where that is the important part of budgeting. I think this is the, the fun part where you can come in where it's like, yeah. cool, you can go now. Yeah. If you want to go spend thousand dollars on restaurants, now you should know you have a thousand dollars left this month. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the piece there that you're, you're you know, bringing up is, is tracking your essential expenses versus your discretionary spending. And so if you know what your essentials are, you can then, so we'll, we'll I, I would imagine probably talk like emergency funds and things like that a little bit later. But if you know what that, that baseline number is, you know, let's say I spend $5,000 a month on strictly like essentials. Um, I know that if push comes to shove, if I get laid off my job and it takes, you know, four months for me to get a new job or whatever the case may be, um, I need to have, you know, potentially three to six months worth of saving. There's some variability in there, but I know I need to have 30 grand saved off to the sideline for a rainy day. 
So the reason that budgeting is important is it's not just tracking what you spend and where you spend it. That's important, yes, but it's also going to tie into how does that translate to your other financial goals and how do you actually execute against them? This is interesting. <laughs> um, it seems obvious, right? Money in, money out. Why do you think people get into debt? Because we live for now. As, as a guy who drives a 16-year-old Toyota Tundra pickup truck uh, and works in financial planning, um, you know, I worked at some big institutions, and you'd see guys directly out of school, 23 years old, you know, getting their first big boy job, making 40 grand a year plus benefits, and they would be driving a BMW. And you'd see older, more wise employees who made four to five times what that particular employee made, and they're driving a Toyota Camry to work. So um, I think a lot of people get sucked into, I, I mean, we would live in a marketing-driven world, and we could have a real existential conversation on this, but like so many people, you know, get caught up in this kind of comparison and comparison. I I don't know who quoted it, but comparison is like the thief of joy. Like if you're just always looking over the fence, looking at what your neighbor has, you're going to hate what you have and you're going to want the newest thing. So if you go, you know, you bought your new thing. I think you, you posted something up a while back that I thought was interesting was like, remember when you wanted the thing that you have, like, that that's really the the mindset that you have to have with this. And so like, if you get sucked into just saying, you know, I need the next X, Y, or Z, well, at a certain point you attain it. And then what's next. So you do have to have to have that as like a frame of reference. Yeah. I love this. And this is an important <clears throat> conversation. Cause I remember when you and I first met, <clears throat> we grabbed a beer and I, I wanted to pick your brain about finances and investing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm finally making enough money and we'll, we'll dive into this. I've always been making enough money mm-hmm. to, put 20 bucks away, 50 bucks away, whatever. Um, but ultimately it comes down to your goals and what's important. And yeah. that's, you know, that's what you said. And that's, I imagine what we'll dive into is, yeah, what do I invest in? What do I do? It's like, okay, well, what's important to you and why? Right. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, I know you, and you mentioned 16 year old truck, but you've got one of the sweetest <laughs> mountain bikes I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because it's about value. Yeah. It's what's important. And it's, you know, I think for a lot of people, part of this conversation with money is, thinking a little bit into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a matter of, you know, there, there's a difference. And I think a lot of people get caught up in saying, oh, well, I could never, um, you know, cut my budget down to a certain amount. Well, if you, if you track your essential expenses and your discretionary expenses, you can really identify like how much above my means am I actually living or, or if that's the case. Um, but the other piece you can really get into is like, if your income truly is not sustainable to meet those everyday expenses, um, that's a situation, like that's a situation where then you have to start focusing on like, how can I increase my income? So how can I, you know, uh, pick up a side gig that essentially does that, that meets those basic bills, uh, to get out of that situation and then progressing forward. But if, you know, most people, you know, what I've found is your lifestyle is set to whatever your income is. What, you know, I had a, had a couple that I talked with yesterday, um, out in California and they made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per year in terms of income. We'll, we'll throw a, a hypothetical number and I'll budget the, the expenses to it, but they made, you know, 500 K a year as a couple. Um, they spent 400 K a year and they said, Oh, well, our lifestyle is not that, not that lavish. Um, the, the husband kind of piped up and he's like, are you kidding me? We own a horse. Like, <laughs> so all that to say, like, if, if you let that idea of like lifestyle creep, if that continues to, to increase, 
what you tend to see is that, you know, you will continue to increase your lifestyle to whatever your income is. So if you make 50 grand a year and five years later, you make a hundred grand a year, you're going to continue to live your lifestyle at a commensurate pace. So that's where you have to be really intentional in terms of like, if you track it, that's great. That's a realization, but you also have to make an action plan to say, how do I do this? And that's not to say that you need to budget down to the bone because that's not sustainable either. But if you do look at it, you should say, okay, you know, maybe I did work really hard and I got that promotion at work. You know, maybe I take a little bit of an increase and we go out to dinner an extra time per month, but it's not something that it's like, we're just going to completely blow out the budget from here. Cause we got in anticipation of a higher salary or whatever that may be. Yeah. This is take it from me, not just from John, who's, you know, just trying to like, I will attest to this. I was in New York city making $85,000 as a civil engineer. And, um, yeah, I, I had, I was saving money and I think this is the big point. I was kind of going to lead to this, but I'll just say it now. Like I was saving money because it came right out of my paycheck, right into an account that I did not look at. Mm -hmm. And then I lived off what was left. And then I moved to Colorado to be a personal trainer making barely, you know, like $20,000 a year, mm -hmm. but I survived and I was in a cheaper city. Rent was half, but we had a, we had a house instead of a one bedroom apartment. We had a two bedroom house and we just went out a little bit less, drank mm -hmm. a little bit less, you know, grocery shopped more intentionally and bought, you know, maybe it was ramen noodle like once a week, but mm -hmm. instead of, you know, going out to dinner and drinks with friends and having that $300 night every weekend, yeah. um, four times a week, you know, that's 1200 bucks. Um, you live, like you said, you spend what you have, you mm -hmm. truly do. And that's why I think it's super important to have that. You can say the numbers you think, mm -hmm. but like 10%, of your income just goes to savings and you do not see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the, the amount that goes to savings is going to depend on what you find most valuable. Cause I think like, you know, savings, retirement, all those things will tie in. Um, but, but really it's, it's in line with the idea of you need to pay yourself first. And so if you, if you just continue to spend every dollar that comes in, well, that's great. You're living in the moment and that's, that's fine and dandy. If that's your entire, motivation. And if you're, if you're cool, continuing doing whatever you're doing until the day you drop dead. But the reality is like, you do have to pay yourself. And so, you know, if you look and say, Hey, I put even, even just up to your company's match, if your company matches 4% into a 401k or something, well, Hey, if I put 4% into my 401k, that's free money. So I at least need to do that to make sure that I'm not leaving any money on the table that my company is offering to pay me. So you do need to just make it more intentional and, and view it through the lens of I'm going to pay myself and then I'll worry about the other stuff and, and we can change the budget accordingly. Okay. So <laughs> let's say we're having this conversation. It's great. We have a listener who is like, all right, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. This makes sense. I want to make a change, but I'm in debt. Mm -hmm. I got student loans. I got credit cards. Let's talk about this. What does that look like? How, how do you look at paying that off versus, you know, investing, things like that. Yeah. So, uh, don't, don't bank on the government passing student loan forgiveness or anything like that. Like you're going to have to be big boys and big girls and pay off your student loans. Same way everyone in the past has, um, that's the real talk portion. So uncle John will stop now. Um, but in terms of, you know, what you have to balance is it, it depends on the approach. So the same way to budgeting where not everyone's a spreadsheet budgeter and not everyone is just a, back of the napkin type budgeter, um, debt is, is the same way. So you can look at debt in terms of, you know, what is the mathematical best way to pay off debt? 
which is typically going to be your highest interest rate debt. So if you have a credit card that's burning a hole in your pocket at 22% interest rate, um, so interest is, you know, what you're paying to have that particular institution lend you money. Um, if you ultimately are paying that down, that's going to make the most sense uh, in terms of the mathematical side. So you want to chip away at the highest interest rate debt first. Um, that, however, doesn't always feel the best. So if we look at like um, Dave Ramsey, uh, some of you may have heard of him. He's big in the personal financial planning space. Um, he has an approach. It's less built on the math. It's more built on the psychology around getting little wins from time to time. And so he advocates for paying off the smallest debt first, not the highest interest rate. And it's funny because, you know, the, the analytical mathematical side of me would say, well, that's dumb. You're, you're, you're spending more money in terms of paying down that debt because the interest rate is building at a higher rate. Um, what studies have found, though, is he actually has a better result. People get out of debt faster, and it's because they paid off a $1,000 debt at 6% as opposed to a $22,000 debt at 20%. So what they did is they got that little win, and they said, well, that's four of my five debts are, you know, I've got one of five done. I've got four more to go. I can do this. And so they, exactly. So, oh, it's, yeah. so it's about those little wins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I got a question because I actually had a financial advise me, advisor advise me um, to stop putting money in my 401k back in New York City mm -hmm. and to focus on paying off debt. Thoughts? So I don't think it's it's completely unfounded um, because if we think of what that you know, student loan payment, let's say you spend 300 bucks a month in student loan payments. That isn't necessarily a, like what that will do to you for future you is that's 300 bucks you can allocate towards your house or towards your 401k or towards whatever. Um, what you don't want to do is you don't want to completely neglect your retirement and neglect future you by just skewing to just one thing. So if your employer gives you call it 3% as a match, which is pretty common in like 401ks is three to 6% depending on the plan. Um, what you want to make sure is that you're not leaving that 3% of money on the table. So they might do a 50% match on, you know, up to 3%. So you need to put your 6% in there to get that full match. So you're, you're in essence contributing 9% of your salary towards your 401k. So, so real quick, because mm -hmm. I just realized as you were talking, I know what a 401k mm -hmm. is, but can you define that? Think of it as like a retirement plan for businesses that the businesses provide for their employees. And so... Uh, it's like an individual retirement account, but typically, uh, they're structured in two ways. So one is you can put in pre-tax money. So let's say you make 50 grand a year, you put in 10% of your salary, 5,000 bucks. So when you file your taxes, your income for the year is $45,000 because 5,000 got put into a pre-tax account. And the trade-off you make with that is that 5,000, if it's invested, you don't pay tax on it until you pull it out at retirement. So let's say you're 65, you retire, you pull that same five grand out, you'll pay the tax at that point. You ideally, you hope that money has grown over time. It's not just sitting in yeah, cash. Yeah, so explain mm -hmm. how that works. 401k, it's not just money put in a bank account. Yep. You then invest it, correct? Yep, yep correct. So, so a 401k is nothing more than a holding tank. And in that holding tank, um, so let's use like an aquarium example. We'll kind of make this up on the fly. So your, your aquarium is your 401k or your checking account. Uh, whatever those accounts are, are just different aquariums, whatever exotic fish you buy are the investments you buy in that aquarium. So if you have a 401k and you put a bunch of money in there 
what you're doing is you're going to go buy all these exotic fish and stock that tank. You hope the fish start you, having sex and you, then you have a fuck ton of fish. That's, that's, we'll roll with that. Yeah. That is exactly. Yeah. It's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. That was so, actually perfect. So I, I, I got was not planned at all. So yeah, roll with yeah, it. I, I love it. Uh, so I got a question. Um, so pre-tax, you don't pay tax. Mm-hmm. Let's say now you're 65, you make, you said 50,000. Now you make half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now you're in a higher tax bracket. I might not have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you get taxed more. So now when you take it out, you're getting taxed more than you would have if it was just so, taxed originally. Yep. So, so that's the trade-off. So, so the other way you can do it is you can put in like Roth 401k contributions, which are after tax. So the trade-off there is, let's say you make $50,000. You put that same 10%, that 5,000 into a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA as another aquarium, if you will. Um, you have that in there and what ends up happening is your income for your tax purposes is still 50,000. The trade-off you've made with the government though is your $5,000 is in, you've paid the tax on it and then it grows tax-free forever. And whenever you pull money out of it, it's ultimately gonna be tax-free. There are a few caveats and rules in there uh, if you pull it out in five years. But uh, generally speaking, if you're saving towards retirement, when you pull those dollars out, there is no tax liability, federal or state. With the 401k, with the Roth IRA, <clears throat> yep. those are set up for not being taken out until you're 64 and a half? 59 and a half. 59 and a yep. half. Yep. Wow. Are we dying younger? What's going on here? They just changed it? No, no. They, you Has know, it always been that way? It, it's always been that way. Oh. Um, well, you, you, have, you have a few, I mean, you've got a few dates when you hit retirement in your 50s or 60s um, for like Medicare and Social Security and uh, other things to hit. But generally the trade-off is, you know, where should you put your money today? If you anticipate, and we hope you do, making more money in the future, you should fund a Roth IRA today because you're paying tax at a lower rate than what you anticipate being in the future. Um, and that could be either due to your income or you think the federal government you know, may raise taxes, which, surprise. <laughs> is it, yeah, is it unreasonable to think that your IRA, your investment now, will outpace your future tax bracket? Potentially. Well, I mean, it all comes down to controlling your income when you pull it out. Because let's say you pull, you know, in retirement, if you pull $5,000 out, the way our tax code works is that the more money you pull out uh, of that IRA, the more you're going to be taxed. So you'll be taxed at 10%, 12%, 22% on up. So, when, mm-hmm. sorry, when you're, fif- when you're 59 and a half, now you're available, now you're free to take that money with no mm-hmm. penalties. No penalty. Mm-hmm. Can you, you can take it as much as you want at a time. You could take out the whole thing if you wanted to. I wouldn't advise it, but yeah. That, Cause that would be a, that would be a harder hit. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to pay, you're going to pay a higher effective tax rate okay. if you do that. But, but let's say you only need $60,000 to live on to, for all your base expenses because your home's paid off and you're successfully retired. Well, you know, that's great. You pull your $60,000 out. You're only taxed on that $60,000. So as that, opposed to, for example, the five million that you've saved for exactly for all so, your so you could have five million in an IRA and let it run. You're only taxed on whatever you pull out. Yeah, which would make sense too because mm-hmm. then it's <clears throat> that other money still collecting interest. Yeah, you only need the sixty k. I got a question for not for Taylor, but Taylor Hotshot over here has got his Roth IRA, uh, and he's an entrepreneur. He doesn't get a W two, and I think most of us are familiar with W two. Maybe mm-hmm. not if you've always been an entrepreneur, but you get a W two. It's basically it's, you get your you make fifty k. The tax is already taken yep. out. Um, when you get your paycheck. So cool. I can just, if I want to save money or whatever, like that's already taxed and I, God, the money, the government loves taking your money. 
They Taylor do. just gets money from people, you know, through his business. No mm-hmm. one's taking tax out. So maybe a different conversation. You know, hopefully he's saving for taxes to pay at the end of the year in a different account. But when he puts money in a Roth IRA, you said that's already taxed, but yeah. So how so, does that work? Because so that that comes down to when you when you file your taxes. So so the Roth IRA has contribution limits. So you can only put in so much per year. Um, all those all those aquariums have fill levels. You can only put so much water or so many exotic fish in there. Um, so when you look at that for like, I know, I know, I we're just gonna keep rolling. Sorry, I'm all like, fish just having sex. And well, it's getting like, too full. It's like China. You can only have two kids uh-huh. <laughs> per exotic fish. <laughs> Sorry, did I? Is that inappropriate? Yeah, I guess that's not where I was. But I we're like gonna it. get geopolitical here real quick. Um, no, so so for like a, a self-employed person, yeah. um, it comes down to you can always contribute to an IRA. It depends on what account is more pre-tax or post-tax, what's going to be most favorable for you. So if Taylor's in a lower tax bracket and he says, you know what, I think taxes are going to go up due to the government and due to me being a super successful entrepreneur, I'm going to put my money in a, a Roth IRA. And then what I'm going to go ahead and do is it's going to grow tax-free and I'm not going to have to worry about the taxes on it. My future children don't have to worry about the taxes on it. Um, that's the trade-off you're making. Yeah. So essentially mm-hmm. it's like I tell my accountant like that yep. now I have mm-hmm. a Roth IRA and he can be like, oh, you put this much money into it. You're going to owe a little bit and more And then he, were, he does takes care of that for me. Yeah. So, so if you look at it in terms <laughs> Thanks, Taylor. Hire someone and not worry <laughs> yeah, about yeah, it. That's Taylor's message. <laughs> well, I mean- you know, like anything, like I'm not a personal trainer. I couldn't program my own workout. I would rather hire Taylor or whoever for that. So it's one of those pieces where it's like, if you don't have a qualified, if you aren't the qualified professional or not willing to learn, you should probably lean on someone who's like an expert in that, that field. Um, if but, I, if I, mm-hmm. sorry, if I was yeah. in, if I, you know, turbo tax, yeah. they would probably yeah. ask, do they, you they, have a Roth IRA? They will literally ask that And they will go, how much did you contribute? Yep. And they would say yes. And be like, cool, you owe the 500 bucks. Right? Sorry. So yeah. that's what I was getting at. Cause even with my accountant, which I have, I tell him he, I have to send him all this information. Yeah. Like where'd you get payment here? If I got, you know, paid from the CrossFit gym or what kind of investment accounts do I own? And mm-hmm. then he does that. So yeah, yeah it yeah, would yeah. be the same if it's right. TurboTax or whatever. Totally. Um, okay. So to backtrack a little bit, I just want to really define 401k versus Roth IRA mm-hmm. because I was really confused on this. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason I was like, Oh, I don't, I can't get a 401k. I, I don't need to invest. Yep. So if you could just like for lack of a better term, dumb that down. What is a 401k? Who's that for? And then again, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm able, I can't, you know, invest in a 401k, mm-hmm. but I can invest in a Roth IRA and break that down. Yeah, absolutely. So, so kind of two different segments. One is employer sponsored plans. And then you have, uh, on the other side are going to be just individual accounts. So on the individual side of things, um, if your if your employer doesn't sponsor a, a retirement plan or let's say you're just self-employed and you want to have a really easy way to contribute for your retirement, uh, you can use a, a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Traditional is just the pre-tax money. So let's say that 50,000, I put the five grand in, my income's 45. So it's tax deductible uh, based off your income. If you want to put post-tax money in there, then you're going to use the Roth. So the goal there is that, you know, you can contribute to those regardless of if you're employed, you know, and your, your, your employer has one of those. Um, so those are nothing more than either tax deferred or tax free, 
which means you're not going to get a tax statement on every single December 31 from whoever holds the account. Um, the other side of the coin are more employer-sponsored plans. So if I work for Apple and Apple says, you know what, um, John, you're eligible for a 401k, uh, you're going to put 6% in there and we'll match that 6%. Um, that we will go ahead and essentially it's just an employer way to incentivize retirement savings. Sounds like free money. It, it sometimes it is. Um, the, the reason, free, yeah, <laughs> but, but the, but the reason they exist is, um, you may have heard like your grandparents probably talk about pensions. So, so they have a pension, which is like basically a, a company's version of social security where they're just going to write you a check for existing, uh, every single month for the rest of your life. Those have gone by the wayside. And so what employers have done is in when, as those were phased out, these 401ks and other retirement vehicles were phased in. And so all that is, it's a retirement vehicle that the employer provides to their employees. And they ultimately are just trying to incentivize retirement plans for them uh, in lieu of offering a pension because pensions just aren't sustainable because people are living, you know, 15 years longer than what they previously did. Is it really for us? Or someone, Both. someone's behind there making way more money than we're getting. No, it's, it's for you. Mm-hmm. Sure well, <laughs> okay. So here's, we'll talk, let's talk about the free money, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was for a very brief period, I worked for a company and there was mm-hmm. a 401k. Now you had to work there for a year before yep. I had access to it. So I never got access. Um, but it really seems silly knowing what I know now, not to do that. And I remember Let's see, I was like 28 and just being like, man, I just want more money, right? Same with like my insurance plan, right? Mm-hmm. I had insurance I had to pay, they paid half of it. And I was like, I'd kind of just rather have the money. But in hindsight, it's like, oh, well, I have insurance, right? It's it's a good quality insurance. And so, you know, one way to look at it is like, oh, well, I'd rather just have, you know, um, I'd rather make more money. Mm-hmm. However, okay, this is what you're getting paid. So at least take advantage of that. And 100%. take, you know, give the full 6% so you can get the most back. Because again, right now as a 20, 25, 30, 35 year old, you're like, Oh, I just want to live and buy the car and do the things. Mm-hmm. But one day you're going to want to have the money in that account. Yeah. So, so the, really the, the focal point of a lot of retirement savings really centers on compound interest. So, and that is, oh, here we go. Talk let's, dirty to let's me. Do it. Let's do it. John brought um, up, John brought a calculator, everyone. So I did, I did. Should we bring that out? Yeah, um, the old trust, the old trusty BA two plus. Um, I thought it was a TI, but it is a TI, but it's the oh, BA two okay. plus. Okay, gotcha. It doesn't. Okay. It well, does. I got I've got yeah. an iPhone. Is that what? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you you can get there. It just if takes you turn a it sideways <laughs> on the iPhone, you get parentheses, ex, ex, exponents. PEMDAS? What are we talking about here? <laughs> well, that's your own. That's an, your own. I dropped out of algebra. Nobody too, understands so. PEMDAS. This is why I'm a fitness coach. I just pick things up and put them down. Hey, there you go. It yeah. works for you. Um, so, so what it comes down to, so compound interest is, let's say you put that, that same $5,000 in, for instance, for that example. Um, it is, it's not just earning money on your money. So let's say I put in $5,000 into a mutual fund uh, or an exchange traded fund, but some sort of investment, I buy those shares. And, and my anticipation is, I'm 30 years old. I want to retire at age 60. Um, I've got 30 years to let that money grow. So ideally, even if I just put that $5,000 in, I want that investment to continue to grow. And so what you tend to find is that uh, a lot of retirees, if they start really, really early, um, 
their retirement is not really funded by their own contributions. It's funded by their, their money, making money, and then that, that earning, that earnings continues to, to snowball. So think of it in terms of your credit card debt. If you've ever bought something on credit card and you make the minimum monthly payments or you keep running things up, uh, that becomes a really big hole to dig out of because you're getting charged that call it 22%. That's an exorbitant interest rate. What you find is that compound interest works the opposite direction in your favor for retirement savings. So instead of you paying the credit card company 22%, let's say you get 8% per year, which is generally what the market gets. What you're going to find is your money makes money. And then the money that your money makes continues to make more money. So essentially it's, it's that snowball effect, but in reverse. Yeah. I think using, using the example of like, okay, if you buy a stock for a hundred dollars mm-hmm. and it goes, we'll use the 8% and it goes up 8% every year, you make $108 next year. You make $116. Mm-hmm. It's just $8, $8, $8, yeah. right? Yeah. In, in compounding interest, you have a hundred dollars and it make eight, it makes $8. Now you have $108. Now that 8% is not 8% off the hundred the next year. It's 8% off the $108, mm-hmm. which is more money. Yeah. And then that is now, what is that? Hit me with it. Yeah. So, so let, let's say you put your, your 5,000 bucks in, cause we're running with that example for today. Cool. So Sorry you're, for switching. No, you're all good. You're all good. <laughs> uh, so, so you're, you're, you put your $5,000 in, you do that every year from my age 30 till age 60. And let's say you just buy uh, what they call an index fund. So you've probably seen, uh, whenever you've seen growing up as a kid, when you know nightly news used to be a thing, you'd say, you know, you'd see Tom Brokaw say, "Oh, well, the Nasdaq closed at this, and the Dow closed at this, and all that." Um, that's just an index. So let's say you buy an S&P 500 index fund, the biggest 500 companies in the United States. You just buy that. Generally speaking, that gets you call it eight percent per year. Uh, it's not linear. It comes big spurts and, you know, lots of losses. So it gets you 8% per year. Uh, if you put in that 5,000 bucks every year for 30 years and you get 8% on your money, uh, at 60. So 30 years later, you have $566,000. And how much did you put in? 5,000 yeah, 5, a year. That's yeah. It. So you, you put a, you put, you know, 150,000 in there and you made 560,000. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. That sounds like free money. Four, yeah. Like $400,000 for yeah. Fucking doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to clarify because mm-hmm. part of this whole financial literacy, I started reading some books as well as talking to John. Taylor's Again, an adult now. He can read books. <laughs> He's got a Roth IRA. I'm never going to kiss you. He's got a pup too. That. Please. Come on. Don't say that. I'm never going to kiss you. That's why I'm sitting so far away. Yeah. Today. What if we put Sean between us, the little puppy over here? I mean, he's been sleeping on me. Okay, back to what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. You open a Roth IRA. It's not just by putting the money in the account. Mm-hmm. You put the money in the account, and then you have to buy something. You have to buy an index You have to buy fund. your exotic fish. Yes, you have to buy the exotic <laughs> fish. And funny, funnily enough, funnily? Is that a word? That's definitely a word. That's what we're going with. Beer and a half. Taylor uh, can't speak. They're IPAs, though. Where do yeah, yeah. Anyways. Uh, the book I was reading, the example they gave is some woman for like 10 years put money in a Roth IRA and never bought anything. Mm-hmm. So it just stayed. Yeah. Oh, Can no. you imagine? And that's why it seems I, silly. But like when I was new to this, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I have a Roth IRA. It does that. And then it's like, oh, no, now you have to buy the things. I don't think like, I really thought that. Yeah, I thought. Well, yeah. so, I mean, so yeah, so I have a funny client anecdote. So I worked at a big, big financial institution and I was fresh off, off my degree in financial management and fresh off my licensing. So I'm a real stockbroker at this point in time. 
and uh, we would be responsible for generating financial planning appointments for people who you know are, are essentially me now. Um, but we would be responsible for like bringing up you know pertinent issues. So one gentleman called in. I worked the swing shift, and it was you know eleven eleven thirty at night, and uh, he was pretty gruff with me. And I noticed that he had a an IRA, and the bulk of it was just sitting in cash. And so I asked the question. I said, "Hey, you know, before I let you go, just one quick question: um, why, why is your account sitting in cash? Is that by design or is that by default? Like, how how did we get to this point?" And he goes, "Well, it's not in cash." I said, "No, no, it is, hundred percent. You know, five hundred plus grand." And he goes. Oh man, well, it turns out he got divorced multiple years beforehand. And as part of the settlement, his wife had split one of their accounts and given it to him. Well, she sold everything beforehand and gave him cash. He thought it was just riding along. So we've been in from 2008, 2009, the longest bull market in history up until March of last year. And he oh, successfully no. sat in cash for three quarters of it. So oh, no. to, to that point, you know, what is the time value of $500,000 for... 12 years. 12, you know, however long. So that, that all that to say, to your point, like, yes, putting money in is important, but you should also go ahead and you should make sure that it's actually going into what you want it to go into right. to try and get that return. Because if you're super young, ideally you want to take a bunch of risk when you're younger because you want that, you want to play the mathematical odds that you're going to be in a better spot in 30 years. Well, like you said, the S&P average is 8, 8%. There's ups and downs, but if you're in it for 30 years mm-hmm. more, it's going to average 8%. Yeah. You know, you're just hoping you don't take it out in a year like 2008. Yeah. You know, and, hopefully and so, that's not when you're retiring. And so that's <laughs> where like, so we talked at the, the very beginning of like, you've got stocks and bonds and the mix of those is your asset allocation. So, so investing comes down to time. It comes down to being diligent and continuing to have a process. Uh, and it continues to really being comfortable with what your process is and how you're going to adapt. So uh, what can you control? I can't control what the market does. I talk to clients all day long and they go, what's the market going to do? Well, hell if I know. Like, yeah. um, But what I can control is how much risk I take in certain buckets of money. So if I'm two years from retirement, I shouldn't be investing like I'm 30. I should not be 100% stocks and fully growth. I should probably be closer to the middle. So I have some dry powder in case that, you know, we see March of last year where the market sells off 35%. I don't want to see my retirement nest egg go down by 35% in full. If it goes down 10%, that's, you know, it's concerning, but it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So po- a potential, if you started at 30, retired at 60, you could make $400,000. Yeah. Right. So the name of the game is start early. As early as possible. Cause so, so same calculation. Let's say you do it only for 15 years. Let's say you're like, John, you're totally full of crap. Um, I can, I can make it up. So let's say you start 15 years, you start at 45 and you're going to retire at 60. Uh, you only have $135,000 at that point. Wow. Okay. 135? 135. Compared to the 400 something five, five, thousand? 566. 566, what yeah. we have before? Wow. Yeah. So, okay, let me ask you this. We're going to stick with this $5,000 example. Um, that's about $400 a month, a little over $400 a month. Yep. If you are, you like that quick math? I, I do like it. I did that. Wonderful. 15 yeah. minutes ago. I'll be honest with you guys. <laughs> he's, he's been hanging on that for a while. He's using Shaw's paws to count. Uh, okay. What if I can't afford, let's say I'm 25. What if I can't afford 400? Is it even worth it? Yes. Okay. It, because it comes down to retirement has evolved. So retirement is not sitting on the beach drinking Mai Tais for 30 plus years. 
um, you know, retirement can be different for different people. Yeah. So, you know, I've got a lot of clients who let's say they've saved really, really well. Retirement for them is going to be volunteering and they're, they're going to really try and be philanthropic with, you know, how they spend their time. Um, I've also got people who say, you know what, I want to, you know, be really charitable or I want to give this money to my kids or they may invest in a certain way. But, but when you look at that, like what you need to be cognizant of is even if you, you say, Hey, I'm really late in the game. Is it even worth it at this point? Um, let's say you can only save 200 bucks a month. Well, that's great because that may, let's say in your sixties, you may be able to take a reduced role or maybe a job that works part-time that still, you can still do things. Um, but ultimately it doesn't have to be a full retirement of like, I'm going to kick up my feet and watch Maury all day long. Like <laughs> I was front row at Maury one time, my, my brother interned there and I said some mean things to interned. some people. Wow. Yeah. It was not How does moment. one intern at Maury? I'm just <laughs> you curious. You just pick up calls and yeah. answer calls from people wow. who are, you know, the scum of the earth. Sorry. I said, so people probably aren't <laughs> listening yeah. to the podcast. I specifically so. remember going to a doctor's office as a kid and the people, there were only two other people in the room and they had changed the TV to Maury. Yeah. It's um, so, yeah, so, I, so here we'll, we'll round out your compound interest. So, so just reversing the calculation. So you got 566 grand. If you start at 30 and you save till 60, so you get five grand a year, 30 years. Um, if you were to back that out and say, you know what, I'm only going to go ahead and save for that 15 years. So I'm going to totally forgo this and I'm going to start at 45 and I'm going to do this till 60. Um, what do you need in terms of a savings rate? You need to save $20,861 per year wow. to get that same 566,000. So, so that's the impact of compound I, interest. I got, a, I got a, another question. I just want to, for anyone that's like 10 bucks, 10 uh -huh. bucks a month. Go for yeah, it. I was, I was going to ask, what is the minimum? 10 bucks a month. That's $120 a year. Mm-hmm. What does that get you? If say we're 30 years old and I'm going to retire at 60, give me yeah. that 30 years again, 120 bucks a year, 120 bucks a year. Yeah. Yeah. So 30 years, let's take a look. 8%. That still gets you 13, five, 13,500. Yeah. It's amazing. And that's, and, and if that's it's money you didn't have. Yeah. yeah. And if you were just saving that money, like if you weren't saving at all, obviously we need to start saving. But if you were just doing that, you know, just putting money away in a, under the mattress, mm -hmm. right. For 30 years. Oh dear God. Quick math. $3,600 <laughs> right in 30 years yes. compared to 13,000. You yeah, didn't yeah, extra money yeah. if you just, and that's, well, you, you said it when you, when earlier in this podcast, you said money working for you. This is what you mean by money working for you. Yeah. And, and so that's what it comes down to is like, if you start earlier, even if it's 10 bucks a month for the time being, and it can grow, let's say over time, you can say, Hey, now I can put 50 bucks a month down the line. Um, you know, that that's going to help you exponentially. That's what it's all about. That exponential growth. Baby. And that example, right? If it's 30, if it's only 10 bucks a month, hopefully in a few years, it could be 20. It could be 50. Of course. Yeah. Be, we'd imagine. You know, so the point is start now. And this was, you know, again, just this is why financial literacy is so important is like, you, you don't know what you don't know. And it's like, start now. So we talked about this earlier, but I, well, actually last time we got tacos, we talked about, and I love this example, you know, Matt still has some student loans mm -hmm. and it's like, barely. okay, should I pay the students loans or like, let's say I have a fixed amount of money. Is it better to start investing now? in retirement or should I pay off the student loans or where? Well, yeah. the, I mean, this was the conversation we had at dinner where my student loans are like 4% interest. Mm -hmm. So should I put money, should I put more money towards that just to get the student loan out of my life or 
should I pay the very minimum of student loans and invest the money in the S&P, which mm -hmm. makes 8%. So that's double the interest I'm paying. So, so the piece there is that, that 8%, the caveat with it is there are no guarantees. And so yeah, yeah, we, we can look sure. at the, the historical norms and say, hey, there's, it's going to get you 8%. Um, does it get you that over the next 30 years? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, I have yet to, to run across anyone with a crystal ball to tell me that with authority. I know you have such sharp, sharp teeth. Um, so He's talking to Taylor. I am. <laughs> Taylor's, nip, Taylor's, Taylor's just nibbling, just on, nibbling on my fingers. <laughs> uh, once, again, once again, go check out the YouTube. You can see we got puppy Shaw over here. Empty stomach, a couple IPAs. Sorry, guys. Can't help myself. You won't kiss me, but I'll nibble John's fingers. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, the, the one thing if you did or if you were to necessarily like increase uh, the, you know, student loan payoff, the, the caveat there is once that's done being paid off, let's say you have a $200 a month payment or $300 a month payment, you put that to put those dollars to work. So, so make sure that those dollars have something that they're going to be earmarked towards, uh, as opposed to just saying, well, I got 300 bucks in a bar tab that I can go blow. Right. So, so that's the thing is like getting back to how that ties into budgeting is like, well, Hey, now your essential expenses have dropped, but you need to, you know, almost view that as, as spent money in my mind is saying like, okay, you know, so for, for me, like my wife, Lauren and I, we've, you know, been very intentional about paying off student loans, but still contributing to retirement. So we paid off our student loans. What that's allowed us to do is allocate those dollars towards other investments, um, or, you know, home down payments or more retirement savings, or, you know, yeah. you just have to make sure that you're not looking and saying, well, you know, now I've substituted one payment and now I bought a new car and now I've got another payment to make. Yeah. So two things off that that example. Mm -hmm. One, it's what we were talking about before. I didn't have that money before. $200 a month for my mm -hmm. student loan, right? I've been paying it off since I graduated nine years. Oh my God. Nine years ago? What, what year is it? Nine years? 2021. Holy shit. Okay. Um, so yeah, I never had that money anyway. I've been paying this off forever. So yeah, that might as well go to savings. Mm -hmm. Like I was never using it anyway. The other thing with the car example, uh, just to talk about your compound interest, we mentioned this um, at our dinner. Um, when you're making decisions like this, Oh, I can get the new BMW or I can, what I can get the nicer apartment, you know, for 300 bucks extra a month. It's not just 300 extra bu bucks a month. Imagine if you could save 300 extra bucks a month, that actually becomes a $300,000 decision based on your compound interests. If you want to get your calculator out, but yeah, yeah. but it's not, the, it's not just, Oh, you know, two, whatever extra, you know, I get the nicer car, hundred bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks a month. It's like, no, this, that you could actually save that money. And instead that could be $300,000 down the line. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think to that point, like y there are very few people who will skew so far to the point of saying like every single dollar that I spend is an opportunity cost. So, um, you know, we were talking before we, we turned the mics on, but like, you know, I've got a buddy who he's going to retire at the, the ripe age of 38 years old. And, but retirement is not, you know, not doing anything for the next, you know, 40 plus years of his life. Uh, retirement is probably going to be working part-time in something that he likes to do. Um, you know, having a little bit of money come off his investable portfolio. Um, but, but all that to say, like, if you do look at it, don't view it strictly as an opportunity cost because, you know, life's going to throw different circumstances at you. Like, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, my life was completely different compared to where it was to where it is today. So that's where, you know, if you're strictly viewing it through the lens of, well, that 200, that, you know, the swipe of that card is going to be, you know, 200 bucks a month. And that's going to be X amount of dollars in 30 years. Well, well, yes, but there are also certain things that like, it is okay to live in the moment. Cause the other piece, the, the variable that none of us can accommodate for is like, 
no one has an expiration date printed on their heel to say, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to save for the future and only future me is going to enjoy it. Yeah. Like there, there is a, die, ba- there is a balance there. Never had fun. Like, yeah. And it's a perfect, I, I would love to talk about retirement mm-hmm. kind of the lead into that. If you wouldn't mind sharing, or maybe you can leave out details if you don't want to share this on the podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, you talked about this um, one client of yours, this couple mm-hmm. um, who saved, 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 and then they retired and they're like, didn't know what they want to do with their life. And they're mm-hmm. like, Oh, you probably shouldn't have retired. Yeah. So can you kind of talk about that and, and retirement and what that looks like? Yeah. So, so kind of a fun question. Yeah. And this maybe background wise is, uh, this couple saved multi, multi millions and they lived a very modest lifestyle. Um, and when I posed just the question to them in terms of, you know, why'd you retire? Uh, their only response was, well, we're 65. This is what you do when you're 65. Um, but they had, they had skewed so much towards the math they, they were both engineers and, and they would skewed so much towards the math that they, didn't have kids and they didn't take vacations and they didn't do all these things. Um, and so you've got this big investable portfolio and what does that do for you? Like that doesn't keep you warm at night. Like, so, so you take it with you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like you don't, you don't see a hearse with a trailer. So, you know, what are you going to do with it? Um, ideas now, (laughs) (laughs) except if you're Egyptian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, if you look at that, I, I guess what I always ask clients is, you know, what is success for these dollars? And we get really clear on that. And it's not success in terms of, I want X percent, or I want to get to this dollar. Because to the same degree that when we buy that thing that we've been dreaming of and saving for for the longest time, once we get there, the next question is, well, what next? Well, you know, if you, if you save a million bucks, um, you know, time value of money, you can probably get there just playing the mathematical odds on that. Um, but let's say you get to a million bucks. Well, what does that actually do for you? Like, does that allow you for a lot of clients to travel and see their grandkids or to take that trip that they've always wanted to take or buy that sports car that they've always wanted? Um, you have to get really clear on what success is and really driving into the why as opposed to just the mathematical side of things. Um, so that's, that's where, you know, if we look at retirement, say how that pertains to like saving for today, if you're really clear on your why of saying like, why am I going to save that? creates more conviction. It allows you to stick to that. When, when you look at that and you're like, you know, I've gone out three times this month. My budget allows for three times this month. And my friends are all egging me on to go out for that fourth time. And I know that I'm going to do that. Well, Hey, I've had fun this month. So, so it allows you to have a little more conviction and kind of staying power to actually like execute on those goals. So that, that same component of like, what is success for those dollars? What is success for those future dollars? Just reframe the question. Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about retirement, and mm-hmm. ultimately, I hope if you're not sold, you should be. You could be cool like me, have a Roth IRA. You could check your account every day. It's super. Don't check su- it every day. Check it like exciting. every six months. Well, it depends on who you are. You know, I'm there for the ups and the downs, John. You know, it's part of the process. I love the process. The Roth IRA is the only thing that makes you cool, by the way. Wow. And this guy wants a kiss from me. Can I you know, believe honestly, it? I'm, so I'm, I'm trying the negging tactic because I, I, <laughs> I give you so much love and yeah. I can't get the wow. kiss out it, now. It's like <laughs> high school, you know, you got to... You got to hate on the person that you like. Yeah, yeah. you got to pull, pull the pretty stupid. pull the pretty girl's hair, right? I mean, you're not even wearing Birkenstocks <laughs> like John. Yeah, I know. I actually was going to bring that. I know. In my intro, I was like, oh, I should have <sighs> mentioned he was wearing Birkenstocks. <laughs> we should start this over. Okay, <laughs> John. Yeah, rehash it. Let's go. All right. Here's what I want to know because here here's mm-hmm. how I feel like I once viewed you know the market and investing, and I think a lot of people do like. 
this is all cool and all. Retirement's cool and all. But like, John, I want to make money. I want to get on Robinhood and I want to make quick cash and I want to invest in Bitcoin and just make it big and I can quit my job. So how do I do that? That's sick. Um, do you go to Vegas often? No, I've never been, but I will start going. Yeah. And you know, I'll probably buy a nightclub. I've been yeah. to Vegas. W- w- why are those buildings so big? No idea. I've never been. Why are they so fancy? I mean, it's because because you don't win. You're not yeah. walking away with money. Ooh, okay, okay. So, so this the same philosophy applies with any sort of get rich quick scheme. So, you know, they've been around since the the end of time. So, it's one of those pieces where it's like, if you look at, you know, why are the casinos in Vegas so shiny? If you go to Caesar's Palace, why does it look, you know, uh, jokingly from The Hangover, is this the real Caesar's Palace? Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you look at that, you have to look at that through the same lens of like, what what actually lends itself to like long term success and the the one common thread in all the people that I've talked to, and I mean, I deal with clients that are anywhere from 500,000 bucks up to, I think our, bigger, like our biggest clients north of 20 or $30 million. Um, the, the common thread is not that they hit it big one time. The common thread is that they did a lot of really good things a lot of times. And so they were really consistent. So, so that ultimately, that consistency is really what drives long-term success. But the other piece is, you know, you have to get, you know, really into your why of, you know, why do you need to retire today? If you hate your job that much, like get, get yes, into that. So you're, like, you're, it's not about the money. It, oh, it's I about like, this. I love this. What are you actually doing? So I, like, yep. you know, I, I took a pay cut to do the job that I currently do. And it's because like, I really enjoy helping people, but I hated the context in which I was doing it. And so it's one of those pieces where it's like, you know, you shouldn't just look at it and say, well, if I only had a million bucks, all my problems would be solved. No, you'd probably just have million dollar problems. So you have to like go a little bit deeper there. I love this. You nailed it out (laughs) of the park. This is what I do. This is what I get jazzed up about is what's your why? And you talked about that. And we started the podcast with like, why are you investing? What's important? And, um, I think ultimately like I bring this up because if you're listening and that's what you want to do, it's like, yeah, take a step back, look at the rest of your life because the odds are you're not going to just make all this money. And I know Matt, when we talked before you had, you had a good example of this is when you started researching this stuff, right? You were in New York city and you were, you were like, how can I get out of this job? I can retire sooner than 65 because you were unhappy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've told it, I said it before on this podcast, you know, when I moved to Denver and made the 20 K as a personal trainer, I was never happier. I was doing something mm-hmm. I loved. I was now in a, a city that I really loved. I could hike and snowboard and all that stuff. And the money didn't really matter. I mean, it caused some stress because 20K is garbage <laughs> between me and my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, fiance at the time, ex-wife, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I was, I was so much happier. And the opportunity to meet new friends and yeah, just be in this beautiful city, it was like, that's what mattered. So like you said, like, yeah, I was, mm-hmm. I was safe. I was, had the $85,000 engineer job. I was automatically saving $500 a month. Um, I had the 401k, all the great health insurance, all this stuff. And I so much was missing from my life. I wouldn't say I was unhappy, but I was just like, this is not it. And it, it, clearly the money wasn't doing it a damn thing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a great analogy. It's just, yeah, it's like going to Vegas. It's, you know, the house always wins, right? You, you hear about people who made it big on, maybe they invested in Amazon in the beginning or they were in on Bitcoin in 2010 or whatever. But again, there's always going to be stories like that. So if, mm-hmm. if that's what your goal is and that's how you view investing, 
and I say this from a place of like, I've been educated a lot recently is like, you know, the odds are not there, right? What it, what is, there's some saying about buying lottery tickets. I think you said it, it's like rich people don't buy lottery tickets. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it's, it's a, poor, it's a poor tax. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So that being said, let's, let's chat a little bit about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Like if you're going to do it, why would you do That's it? A, like, it's a rough the, week to bring that up. Yeah. yeah it went down hard. I, I don't know. Should I, I actually, should out. I buy is now the time to buy it. <laughs> If I don't have any, we're, we're recording on uh, what is it, uh, May twenty first. It's dipped uh, pretty considerably. Bitcoin was fifty something. Now it's like thirty five thousand. <laughs> yeah, should right? I? Is it lower now? Is it yeah, lower? should I buy right now? What what is it right now? Let's let's take a look. Um, it is. Do 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 do. Thirty seven. 37. And 30. it was like fifty. It was like fifty. It was up, up to sixty. Yeah. Sixty almost. Yeah. yeah. So that's a lot, and that's like in a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the volatility right there. So, so yeah. So, so like, like any investment, um, you know, happiness is having the right expectations. So, if you go, happiness is having the right expectations. I, I'm just chock full of one-liners. I today. love that um, definition. <laughs> yeah, I could challenge that. Yeah. How, okay. We'll, we'll 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 do this, and then we can challenge that. Okay. Um, so like, if if you were to buy a certificate of deposit, a CD. Like what you what you envision your grandma going into the bank and buying, where it's gonna pay you. What pay. is a CD? So yep. So it's basically like let's say I walk into a bank, and I give the bank a thousand dollars, and the bank says, John, we're gonna hang on to your money for for one year, and we're going to pay you one percent interest. I'm gonna get get a reward of one percent on my money for locking it up. Guaranteed. So yep, guaranteed. Um, Free money. There you go. Uh, essentially free money. So there's the opportunity cost piece. But if I buy a CD and it pays me 1% and I expect that CD to get me 10%, like to expect it to perform like the market or like a stock, um, I'm going to be really displeased. So if I buy a stock or I buy Bitcoin and I expect Bitcoin to just hang out there at $50,000, I'm going to be really disappointed with that. And so all that to say, no one's expecting Bitcoin to hang out. Well, you buy Bitcoin and expect it to go exactly, to exactly. No, no one is buying it to to have it hang out. But but if you were to go in there and your you know incorrect expectation is, I'm going to expect this to make me money and then it loses money. Well, no no risk, no reward. So um, all that to say, like if you go into Bitcoin or a stock or a bond or whatever you buy, and you haven't fully understood like what are the pros and what are the cons of how this can impact, you know, the, the dollars that I put into this? If I put a thousand bucks into Bitcoin, yeah, it could be $10,000, but yeah, it could also be zero. So as long as you're comfortable with that risk reward proposition, and as long as you can define that or do some research around that, then invest to your capability. Um, you know, I've got clients who are super risk averse. We don't take the same risk for every single 65 year old because everyone's different and everyone's tailored to, the, to themselves. So you, you've said it before, essentially you need to look at things like Bitcoin. It's fun money. It's not money that you rely on. To, to a certain degree, like, like it's a more speculative. So, so, you know, I can't look at, you know, if I, if I buy a share of Apple, well, you know, Apple makes my phone and, and I can look at Apple and say, I paid Apple too much money for my phone and so did everyone in this room. Apple makes a particular product and, and I can value Apple based off of that. We can debate whether Apple is fairly priced or not, but, but Apple has this kind of intrinsic value, if you will. 
if you look at like a cryptocurrency, um, not to say, and I own cryptocurrency, but like not to say that, that they're the same as an Apple, but you lack that physical feeling of touch. There's a, there's a theoretical value there of like, this could change how payments are affected and it could change how currencies are transacted and all those different things that we could get into. But you know, you have to look at it under that pretense of this is not proven. It is very much a speculative instrument right now where people are not buying Bitcoin to hold their value. They're buying it to try and 10 X their money, you know, in a, in a week or whatever the time frame is. Happiness is having the right expectations. Mm, let's go. So I do a lot of sales calls, with a lot of personal trainers. And in the intake form, I ask them, tell me your dream situation mm-hmm. in three years. And they say, making 60 K, you know, I have X amount of clients working 40 hours a week, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, so you're telling me, and I get on the call, I'm like, so you're telling me, I asked you your dream situation. And you're <laughs> telling me you want to make 60 K, which is like $14,000 less than the median household income in the United States. Mm-hmm. And you want to work a full works week. Like that's your dream. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, that's what they think based on expectations of the field. That's what they think is, you know, would be good, mm-hmm. would be a, a good living for them. And then I get to challenge them and I get to open up these expectations of, well, why not a hundred thousand dollars? Why not $200,000? Why isn't that the dream? And why not? Why don't we work 20 hours a week? Mm-hmm. Is that possible? Go, Fuck. Yeah, it's possible. And I'm going to teach you how anyway, but not to get in the sales so- call, but it's like their expectations are so low mm-hmm. that I guess, I guess that, I guess actually all right, all right, now that I'm leaning to this, he you, might, you did say he the right, ju- you said the right expectations. He might've just proved your, yeah, his That's point fair. where they think that'll make them happy, but it won't. Right. He, That's he, still not enough. Yeah. I mean, I, well, well, I potentially think, based on what the, what yeah. life they want to live. And, and then that's the thing. It, it all correlates to, you know, money doesn't drive how happy you are. Like in any way, shape or form. If you look at a lot of studies, I think it's like, you know, the 70, 80 K threshold, whatever the number is. And we won't even quote like statistics on it of like happiness tends to decrease after about $80,000. And and that isn't due to, you know, in, in this case, you know, that $80,000 being some magical threshold, but like to the same degree, if you have that million dollars, well, your problems are just million dollar problems. Now you, your problems don't go away. So, so that's the thing is like, you know, I look at, um, it was funny. Cause so, so when I worked at another big firm, um, this guy left and, and I had supported him directly and he made oodles of money and, and he left to go start his own firm. And I said, I, I asked him, I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, you know, can you, can you not see the whole picture here? Like you're making great money. We're financial planners, time value of money. This is how it all works. Like you can go do whatever the hell you want to do in 10 or 15 years. Um, and he was very much adamant. He's like, listen, I'm just super unhappy. Here's how it goes. So fast forward, I get promoted to his exact same book of clients and I manage that book of clients and I make a bunch of money and like a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy, I am the most unhappy that I have historically ever been because that money doesn't like, you don't derive your money. You don't drive your happiness from that like monetary figure. That's just a, Oh, your bank account has money in it. Okay. Like, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> money, may, may, money, money might've been the wrong example, but this is the money podcast right now. But, um, <laughs> um, We'll say that the personal trainers are doing what they love already. Yeah. Nobody goes into yeah. personal training to make money, um, but you can. Um, but the conversation goes deeper when I talk to these people. It's like, okay, then what does the $100,000 do for you? What does working mm-hmm. 20 hours a week do for you? Because right now, they're killing themselves, working too much, charging yeah. too little. So what does that do for them? And then they start to think about 
maybe it's the travel, maybe it's having the family mm-hmm. so that they could support a family. And they can't do that right now because they're making two, $3,000 a month. So that's where I get them too. Yes. What does the money, what can the money do for you? And it, yeah. it never is really about the money. Yeah. It is what that can do for your it, life. And it's, it's about what was valuable to you. And, and then, yeah. you know, you can back into that number, but I also think a lot of people sell themselves short in terms of, so like my wife is currently interviewing for a couple jobs and things like that. Um, and I, I do think this is also like, I view myself under a certain pretense and I say, I'm, I go into a job interview and I say, I'm worth X amount of dollars and not a, not a red cent less. And the, you know, if I were to go in there and say, oh, well, I don't know, like I'm not going to project that I'm confident and that I'm worth that investment to a particular company. Or if I'm projecting to a client and say, hey, I'm the most, you know, knockout lights out planner you've ever met and I'll plan around your taxes and all these different variables and I'll do it more effective than your guy down the street. Um, if you don't portray that confidence, like then you're, you're less compelling to drive that value home. Sure. Yeah, totally. Okay. We have talked for a long time. This has been (laughs) incredible knowledge. The last thing that I kind of want to talk about is somebody listening to this. Maybe this is new information. They're curious. They're like, I want to learn more. Like how, what is the next step for people? Like, should they hire a financial planner? Should they not? Like, Mm -hmm. what does that look like? So, so I think you can get a long ways on reading and, and, you know, listening to, uh, podcasts that are more geared towards personal finance. You have any recommendations? Um, this one first, um, and then. Let's well, they're go. already here. They're hearing <laughs> yeah, us. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they've already they've made it this far. Send it to your friends and family. But um, I love that you yeah. said that. So yeah, there you go. Um, uh, no, I, I think in terms of you have to look at where your investments are held. So most of these big firms that that let's say your four hundred one k or your IRA is held with, or if you're going to have one, um, are going to be like. Charles Schwab or Fidelity or Vanguard or TD Ameritrade or interactive brokers. They're all places that can hold your money. Um, most of those places will have like a learning center section. Um, and what you're going to find is like you can f- typically filter by your learning style. So if you like articles, you like to read through things, or if you want to watch videos or you want to go to webinars, most of those institutions will have like a designated learning center um, to get you set up on that. Um, the other piece is, you know, I think in terms of any specific podcasts, um, you know, I know there's, there are a few like YouTube channels on like the money guy show is, is one, um, Dave Ramsey's another for like specifically debt pay down. Um, he has, he's big in like churches and things like that in terms of paying down debt. Um, so there, there are going to be some pieces there. Um, also like, I mean, the company I work for the Motley fool, we put out a bunch of material in terms of like personal financial education. I feel like that should have been the first thing you said. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to, this is not meant to totally plug them, but, but like, yeah, we do put out a Go lot of material, it. but it, it's, I think the, the, it's predicated more so on like people who are, have taken maybe a, a step past kind of that, that beginner, okay. it's a little more intermediate to advanced. Gotcha. Um, like me. <laughs> yeah, yep. he's yeah, taking that yeah, step. Yeah. Taylor's um, so fucking cool. <laughs> Taylor's so fucking cool. I can't get over it. Yeah, but 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 like you know, I would I would start out with like a Google search, like Nerd Wallet. There there are a bunch of different places out there where if you let's say you want to do retirement savings, like retirement savings basics, and just like start reading. Yeah, I think you made a good point. There's if there's anything on this podcast that you're like, I don't know what that is. That was new. Just Google it or Google. search or. Com. 
And then <laughs> we're gonna. Ma- Ma- actually, if you at Matthew Allen, uh, he will send you the website for Google. Yeah, He's yeah. Really good at that. Yeah, I got you. But yeah, I mean, whatever question you have, Google it. YouTube, however you like to ingest content, YouTube it, take a podcast, and then they're going to say 20 things. You probably heard something maybe you didn't fully understand. Write it down, and then you're going to have yeah. 25 tabs open on YouTube, and you're going to learn a shit ton. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, what you need to focus on is what, like for a very baby step, if you were to make it actionable, what accounts do I need to invest in? So, so you need to have things like your emergency fund. That's typically going to be like, like a checking account. Oh man, um, I, I'm sorry. I really, I really wanted to ask that. And I know we're going long here, but like, should I have an emergency fund before I invest at all? Yes. Absolutely required. Yes. Cool. Uh, I'm not doing that over here. Uh, <laughs> how much? Uh, typically, so, so like if you were to look at your expenses per month, Typically, if you're in a, a one-income household, so if it's just you, your income is what supports yourself. About three, uh, three to thirty-five hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. So, so like like six months worth of savings. So six months worth of that, you know, three to thirty-five hundred. Then it's just money sitting there. It is. Not it compounding is compounding interest. Mm, Unreal. It is, but but what that insulates you from is, let's say, then you've got that taken care of, and you want to really knock out your investments what you're going to do is you don't run the risk of having to sell your investments in a down market. So if the market, or the last if, thing you want to do is sell I when tear it's a down. ligament in my ankle and I got to get an MRI and yep. my trying to do a front flow. Yeah. My, yeah and my, uh, <laughs> totally hypothetical. It? What do you call it? The, uh, what's the first thing you have to pay? I'm blanking. MRI? The deductible. Deductible. Yeah. Uh-huh. My deductible is $8,000. This is all just an example. Hypothetical. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so I got to pay eight grand. That's where that comes in. That, or you that, get a car accident. That that is exactly all those things. Yeah. Or or like you know our our dog's a family member. He had an emergency you know fifth procedure a few years ago. It's like it's not fun to pay it, but I don't have to rob future me out of my retirement yeah. savings. You I can write a check grand. for it exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, I'm glad that was that was nice. Yeah, so, I'm glad so we got to ask. So that do that, and the other piece there is like you can tailor that. You can run it a little like a little thinner, and and what you have to be considerate of is. What are your healthcare, you know, expenses? So, like, if your deductible is eight thousand dollars, and your car insurance deductible is, you know, a thousand bucks, well, you know, if you get in a, if you run your car into the highway, you know, on ramp or whatever, and it costs you nine thousand bucks because you have to hit both deductibles, mm. that might be a work. That that's something you have to work back and kind of calculate. That's good. But I'll ideally, you're just you're backing it out of your expenses. Is typically a good way to go. I'll save eighteen grand by <laughs> June, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> There you go. I'm not laughing. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. I'm now laughing. I am laughing. Because I got everyone laughing, oh, which man. is my favorite thing to do. So I'm, I'm done then. Man. I got everyone laughing. We're, I'm good to go. <laughs> what else we got, Taylor? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, we should ra- wrap it up. Can't uh, buy me love. It's been in my head this whole time. I don't know why. Uh, John, thank you so much. This yeah, is incredible. No really appreciate it. Um, I know you're on social media. Are you active? Or is there anywhere if people want to reach out to you? Yeah, or? You got articles on Motley Pool? <laughs> I, I don't. I just, just take clients on. So we, we don't publish anything. Cause Somebody wants to hire you as their uh, they, CPA. They can go to foolwealth.com and not CPA. Definitely not taxes. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I so, I, I didn't yeah. Know that right. we, we, we do manage money. So, yeah, they if they ideally want to, uh, we can have that conversation. But, yeah, foolwealth.com is where we're found. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Google it. Find them. John, are we good? We're good. Thanks so much, John, yeah, for coming on here. I had a pleasure. Uh, Motley Fool, this guy needs a raise for sure. <laughs> he took a pay cut to come with you guys, and he's clearly amazing at what he does. So 
Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And until next time, everyone, we will see you. Actually, you will. we won't see anyone, but you'll hear us on the next one. Peace!